uh, funny enough, when we bought our first vehicle, uh, the government at the time, which is not the government that's currently there, they were giving my partner Josh a lot of hassle being like, where did you get this money? Um, you know, like, cause they're thinking, oh, well, someone like gave him the money to buy it, which, cause that's usually what happens. Like, uh, there'll be a, even a silent partner in the U S or Europe and they'll give someone on the ground, a bunch of money, uh, to then buy like a fleet of vehicles and run safaris and they've got to cut like 50, 50 in the business and whatnot. Um, so they gave him a lot of hassle and he had to produce like a bunch of paychecks basically from years past being like, this is money. I've saved it. Look at it accumulating in my bank account. I saved up my own money to buy this. Are you interested in adding multi-day to your day tour business? Are you looking to understand growth and scale strategies in the multi-day world? Looking to finally crack the technology stack you need to organize, automate, and grow your business? Then join Tourpreneur in Seville, Spain for Tourpreneur Connect, sponsored by We Travel, November 27th to 30th, 2023, for an event unlike any other in our industry. Open to strictly 100 operators. Pete, Mitch, Chris, and other industry experts will guide you through the do's, don'ts, twists, and turns of running a multi-day tour business. Not only that, Tourpreneur are giving back as we will be bringing in local suppliers and businesses to help us run the event. We're also opening up the event to a number of locally based tour operators who can attend for free. So join Tourpreneur in Seville for Connect, November 27th to 30th, 2023, and join us for an unforgettable experience of learning and connection in one of Europe's most unforgettable cities. Visit tourpreneur.com slash connect for more info. So with me right now is an old friend of ours from the travel industry. Scott and I have known each other for quite a while now. And his name is Scott Brills. He is the living definition of a serial entrepreneur for me to prepare this intro took a while just because there's just so many businesses to talk about but the scott happens to be one of the few entrepreneurs i know who has who has a business on i think at least four continents if i've got that right you've got japan africa yeah. so you've got japan that's asia right uh -huh. safaris in africa that's pomoja safaris in yep. japan was the asia one mm -hmm. you have uh Sale.Ventures, which is boat charter specialist in Croatia. Mm -hmm. And you have a web design company in the United States. Yeah. Not to mention that you have a TV show that you've invested in and participated in in the United States as well. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fly Brother. That's amazing. So as soon as you mentioned, I mentioned the TV show thing, everyone's going to be wanting to know about that, right? So I think we just have to, <laughs> we have to start with that and get it out of the way so that we can um, talk about... Um, the main topic of today was just basically how you are running tour companies remotely and working with business partners in different countries and how you make all that happen. But let's talk about the TV show. How did that happen? Uh, TV show happened because it's, it, you know, like a lot of these uh, origin stories, you know, it goes, there's a lot of twists and turns, but uh, I used to, with my friend Dan, throw uh, Mexican brunch parties in New York City. Uh, 2013, 14, 15, um, we'd get a hundred tamales and we'd get bottles and bottles of premium tequila. Um, and we would have up sometimes up to a 12 hour brunch on like a Saturday, um, and invite 50 people that normally wouldn't meet each other. Just everyone's, you know, random friends over. 
and we created like a really strong community by doing that, you know, like once a quarter or so, once every uh, few months. And one of the people I met through that, and his name is Ernest White III, and right. he is an African-American guy that was living in New York City at the time. He's from uh, Jacksonville, Florida originally, and it was his dream back then. And this, I'm going to think, I think in 2014, maybe, uh, when we first met, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm working on this TV show. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a writer. I've developed like screenplays and whatnot, but like, this is what I really want to do because I love travel. I've traveled a lot uh, already and I want to have this TV show and get it on, on air and everything. And you think, well, it's pretty cool, but you know, that's, this is a long road to, you know, have that, that idea and, and make it happen. Um, well, he stuck with it through many, many, many ups and downs. And we remained friends over the next few years, even though we didn't see each other in person. Um, and it got to the point, uh, 2019, he began filming it. He had a, a deal with uh, public television in the U.S., um, PBS, and they were going to air his uh, his program. The only thing he had to do is make it happen. So he had, with very little uh, money and, and really no investment so much, you know, besides maybe some local host cities, put together this this TV show from nothing. And he managed to do it. He did it. He, he got uh, season one premiered in 2020 of all years. Um, and uh, then he filmed uh, season two. Uh, which had me in it in, in Detroit in one of the episodes, and now he's currently filming season three. So he uh, he knew that you know I also love to travel. Um, I have a tech background, uh, web development background, and whatnot. And so he asked me for assistance uh, with. I mean, no, I was providing assistance along the way, to a lot of moral moral support, maybe uh, just because it was a really tough road. Like I said, um, TV and film is not easy, uh, but. I was able to end up helping him help him out with uh, the website. So my company made the website for him, and then I kind of became his uh, CTO, uh, just kind of working with all the technology stuff that needs to be dealt with. Um, and then I became uh, a partial owner in the venture itself, and uh, I still am. And so I'm also a fixer for certain destinations that I've got connections with, uh, like Detroit, like upcoming uh, Japan, Tanzania. So. Yeah, I've got I'm I'm in it uh, pretty pretty deep, um, and it's it's really cool to to have been you know by his side through at least part of it, and and seeing him uh, make this dream a reality. I mean, and he was, you know, he was working all sorts of odd jobs just trying to get the money to save up to make this happen. He was a baggage handler at the airport. I mean, you know, it's not like he had these investors come in or he was independently wealthy in his own TV show. Like this is at the heart of it, just like. A, a very bootstrapped operation. Um, and it's really cool when, I mean, the other day I was traveling to San Diego for a wedding and my friend, uh, we were like, we got this message uh, and it was like, hey, we saw you on TV. And I'm like, what? <laughs> they, wow. they were like filming the, the TV uh, with their phone. And yeah, it was just like really cool to be like, oh, wow, like random people are, are seeing me on TV now. It's pretty neat. <laughs> wow, yeah. Um, Scott Brills, international celebrity. So, uh, just tell me, what are those? What are those uh, Hollywood parties like? Now the celebrities. <laughs> I leave. I leave that up to Ernest. He's he's good at that. Uh, you know, he goes to. You know, he he's a professional speaker too. You know, he he's been to. Um, you know, the new the travel and adventure show. He's doing that right now in the U.S., going around the U.S., be, being a speaker at that, along with um, a few other well-known people like uh, the Points Guy. Um, and I think um, 
one of the owners of Frontomers Travel Guides and whatnot. And he's been he's gotten multiple awards uh, for his TV show, and he's you know uh, he's he's gotten a lot of a lot of accolades and a lot of traction from it. And uh, so yeah, he's 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 the point guy on that. I'm I'm happy to appear in some of the episodes and happy to be the guy you know behind the scenes making some things happen though. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Um, so. Just taking some notes here. How many bottles of tequila was it that is needed at each party? Ooh. I don't know if you know about Clase Azul tequila. It's really hard to find now and very expensive. But at the time, we were able to get bottles for 80 or 90 bucks in New York City. And we wow. generally have like six of them per party. And then also we'd tell everyone to bring a bottle. So wow. it was it, it was fun times. <laughs> not to mention not to mention four pounds of queso. Um, four pounds of queso... Five pounds of freshly made tortillas. Wait, uh, don't give all the information away, Scott. Because if you if you're gonna do a coach, if you're gonna do like a coaching program, right? <laughs> group project, um, two thousand dollars a month coaching program with Scott. You two can store your own uh, authentic Mexican brunches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And eventually have it turn into a TV show eight years later. It's a it's a TV show brunch formula, as they call it. Um, it all makes sense in hindsight, right? Yeah, who who yeah. thought <laughs> when I'm when I'm yeah. manning the uh, the griddle making quesadillas at this party that uh, you know one of the people would be like, hey, be on my TV show in in almost a right. decade from <laughs> But but you but it's yeah sure you knew you had no idea that would happen. But part of the reason you're doing it is because you probably had the sense that if you were to keep on doing this, something would happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel that way about everyone. You know, it's like I. I'm friends with people because I want to be friends, but then any ancillary benefits, awesome. You know, like I, I wouldn't stay stay in touch with somebody unless like I, I really like, you know, felt some connection with them, right? Oh, uh, I thought you were going to say, I, I, um, I wouldn't stay in touch with someone unless I feel like a, a, an opportunity to explain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that uh, money focused, but uh, yeah, like yeah, I mean, yeah. no, I know what you're I saying. I have to say, I made, I made many friends during those, those years that we did the brunch parties. Um, I did not, unfortunately, capitalize on most of them. It's it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, no, I agree. It's like it's it's kind of like um, entrepreneurship is is a way. It can be a fantastic and fun way to make connection with people because yeah, it's other people. Entrepreneurship is is your hobby. It's other people's kind of like hobby. It's a passion. It's whatever those whatever those words are, and then you just know that if you just. How do we put it? At the very least, it's interesting, yeah. like, you know, party yeah. conversation. It's not like, right. what do you do? Yeah. No offense yeah. to, like, you know, accountants or whatnot out there. But, like, it's, right. it's something that, like, naturally is like, oh, tell me more, tell me more. Like, you know, mm. about, uh, you know, about what you do if uh, if you're into a bunch of different random things as I am. Right. Yeah, if you you find it fun, you find other people who find it fun, and something comes of it, something comes of it, right? But the, it's more about that the entrepreneurship is, is just fun. Um, yeah. I mean, true story. I I, yeah. I decided to start the safari company because I thought it would be an interesting like subject of conversation. <laughs> yeah, I, to be fair, originally I wasn't going to be well. very much. I was just going to kind of send leads over and take uh, commission. Um, that yeah. is not what it ended up being. Um, right. Very much involved in it, but uh, initially I was like, wouldn't that be funny if I was just like someone's like, oh, you know, what's your name? What do you do for business? Like the usual things that you hear whenever you meet somebody. Uh, especially at like that events like this, and uh, and I, wouldn't it be funny if I'd be like, oh yeah, I own a safari company in Tanzania. 
I thought that would be pretty funny, actually. And so I kind of bought it. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of bought into wait, the wait. idea because of that, partially. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. That's that's a perfect that's a perfect segue, right? So you um let's have a let's have a thirty second elevator pitch for for Pomoja Safaris, right? And then let's hear the story, right? So what is Pomoja Safaris? So we are a medium to high budget private custom safari adventure company in Tanzania. And we do trips, uh, you know, the classic safari, African safari, um, Kilimanjaro hiking, uh, trips to Zanzibar, trips to the lesser visited parks in the south and whatnot, chimpanzee trekking. Um, basically, anything that happens in Tanzania, we can, we can make it uh, happen. You know, we can, we can make it the best experience for you. Right. And... Uh... How big is the team over there that you have? So myself and my partner Josh are the uh, founders and owners, and uh, we maintain total control. We have an accountant over there. We have a wide range of guides, head guides over there as well. Um, we have social media person. We have also a social media person and like a kind of like general secretary type person, uh, assistant. Yeah. yeah. This is great. Uh, as a topic, this is something I want to explore just on a general level on the podcast is a bit about how I think a lot of people assume that you have to be from a place to start a tour company that puts people into that place or that's somehow inappropriate or that there's some sort of legal barriers or whatever. But I think one of the biggest opportunities in travel, um, and it will never go away as an opportunity in travel, is finding someone who's an expert in their destination, who's ridiculously good at what they do and then bringing people to them so that those people can have an amazing experience with that person right and th that was and my original idea too i that that's what i thought i'd do is like okay this guy is obviously one of the best in the country at what he does like let me help him start his own business and send people his way because i know his target demographic um he was dealing mostly with with americans at the time um and i know how to start and run a business remotely and i know online advertising marketing websites and whatnot all the things that were very much, especially uh, 12 years ago, like not something that the lo most locals were really proficient at. It's things yeah, that change. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the spread of the internet has definitely changed that a little bit. But uh, even then, even if it's physically possible for someone in Africa to get access to the tools or to uh, build a website or do the marketing, doesn't necessarily mean that they they want to specialize as a marketer, just like someone in America may not want to specialize. And, and they will not, they will not know the target market. I think that's a big, big thing. Most, most, even if they're in online marketing over there, they know all the tools, they know how to do it. They don't necessarily know what's inside of, of the mind of the target market. Right. Um, sweet. So, um, you do because you're extremely adept at torturing people. <laughs> Give up your secrets. <laughs> that, that's how. That's actually how I met you, Scott. You just told me not to give up my secrets, and I'm going to stand by that. That was great advice. <laughs> it's it's it'll be in my team class, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we we met together in a coaching program about torturing people to give up their secrets. So Scott, how? How? Uh, that was a great weekend in Riyadh, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this show brought to you by Tourism Saudi Arabia. Um, <laughs> so, Scott, I don't want to hear the story. So, all right, we've we've gotten we've got the the overall thesis that you had in mind, right? But where were you? When were you? Tell us the story, like in terms of how did it happen to Scott Brills 
that he let's have it how did that happen to our bills that you yeah, yeah. so we're just worried so um my father and i go on trips uh, once every other year or so um to a different country he picks the destination i'm lucky enough that he picks me as his uh, his travel companion um and i think on the fourth such trip that we did um it was always on his bucket list to do an african safari so he went with a a big uh, tour provider from the States. And we went in a group of 16 or so. And uh, there were three guides, three vehicles, uh, 16 of us. And I was definitely the youngest of the group. I, I definitely stood out. It was mostly retirees. And we had a great time. We spent uh, about two, two and a half weeks doing the, the Northern Circuit, the Serengeti and whatnot. And there was very obviously one of the three guides. And it wasn't the main guide, it was one of the assistant guides that was heads and tails over uh, over and above the other two guides as far as English ability, as far as, as um, just personality, as far as animal uh, knowledge and being able to kind of track and cite them and know what they're going to do. And so I noticed that everyone would rush as much as the group was able to, to get into his vehicle every morning. To the point where I kind of felt bad and I would just kind of like let some people take, you know, go in his Land Cruiser every so often uh, because obviously I could outrun the whole pack of them. So uh, at the end of the trip, uh, I stayed uh, in Tanzania for another few weeks. Uh, my plan was to to see the whole country or see a, a nice chunk of it. And so I went to Zanzibar on my own for a week. Uh, and then my plan was to have a friend come in from the UK and we were going to climb Kilimanjaro together. Um, I hadn't quite gotten all of the details together about like how to get from one place to another. Um, this is 2010, so you know smartphones and whatnot weren't as much of a thing. So I uh, relied on on this guy, Josh. We had exchanged phone numbers. We could at least do SMS text messaging back and forth, and he helped me as far as figuring out how to get to Zanzibar and if I had any questions while I was on the road and whatnot. And um, arranging a, a spot to stay in town after Kilimanjaro was done for a couple nights. Uh, and our last night in the country, my, my friend and I, my friend Anne and I, uh, were invited by him to, to come over to his home to meet his wife and two children uh, at the time. And so we gladly accepted. And on the way there, I remember being in his vehicle and I said, yeah, you're really good at what you do. Have you ever thought about do, you know going off on your own at all? And he said, no, you know, think about maybe like, opening up a side business, doing like, you know, a shop or something like that, you know, just to kind of get some residual income. I said, well, have you ever thought about doing your own like safari company though? Because you're, you're really good at it. I can tell. Um, I said, how about this? Uh, what if we partner together and I do all of the business side of things and then you do all of the stuff that's on the ground. So basically airport pickup to drop off, um, but also like making the reservations, whatnot, using your network and your knowledge on the ground there uh, to do what you do best. And I will do the other stuff because I, this is not my first business I've started and I know how to do this remotely. And I said, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll send you leads basically and I'll get commissioned. Well, it ended up, uh, we, we started the next year, 2011, um, and we got our first client, 2012. And it very quickly turned out that I wouldn't be able to just kind of be so, so you know, on the side of the business. Like I had to put time into it to uh really make it work you know uh because he he was obviously not like the business side of things he was really good at what he did uh but i needed to take you know all the slack as far as 
growing the business, managing the business, talking to clients, uh, managing the money and everything. So uh, in 2014, I decided to ramp down my web development company, which is what I'd been doing for the last uh, 10 years or so before that, and to get more into the safari th side of things. And that was 2014. Um, and then things steadily went up uh, from there, except for COVID. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, far out. Uh, how much does the Safari vehicle cost? Oh, um, they range. So they last for a long time. Toyotas are really good vehicles and the Land Cruisers uh, that they make, especially as you know, for the Australian market, for the Middle Eastern market, um, they are tough. They're the toughest vehicles out there. Uh, that we know from from experience, at least on, on the roads in Tanzania. So yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen some I've seen Land Cruisers do some pretty crazy stuff. Oh yeah, um, uh, and yeah, and so it, it depends on what condition it's in. So most of the time, they take vehicles that are in the Middle Eastern market or the Australian market, sometimes even Japanese, and they will import them as is. And there are actually Toyota certified chop shops. Basically, there's a few of them in Tanzania that are certified by a Toyota to take the car basically chop it in half and then add an extra like length in it to at least allow one if not you know two extra rows in the vehicle so that in the end you can fit um six people in there you've got uh, four rows of seating um and then also with pop-up roofs that you can use to to stand up um in the car and get a 360 view of your environment um so they they they, they move the wheelbase back and everything it's a lot of work so I would say the short answer to your question is, you know, about thirty-five grand to a hundred grand plus uh, U.S. Uh, but yeah, you can you can get a really decent vehicle that it's pre-owned, but not a lot of uh, kilometers on it uh, for about fifty thousand U.S. And then you have to chop it up. No, uh, already made. Wow, that's actually not bad. Yeah, most yeah. people don't buy it and then take it there to chop it up. Like you're buying it from these chop shops oh, directly. These top shops are professional Toyota Land Cruiser importers. <laughs> well, yeah, they, they import and they they do all the work, and you know, then they yeah. they're like, okay, we got another one off the line. It's ready. Like, who wants it? Yeah. yeah, I'm so happy that I asked that question. I've so many times I've seen photos of Safari vehicles, and I'm just like, where? How? <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's I mean, cool. I've I've wanted one too. I mean, they don't sell those in the U.S. Uh, that particular body style. Not of for now. Cruiser. Not for now. Right? Huh? Well, you can yeah, start. I mean, well, there's a business idea. Scott Scott Brill's <laughs> Safari Vehicle. I've looked into it. I've looked into you it. You have looked into it. it. Yes, I've looked into it. Unfortunately, <laughs> though that style, um, the uh, emissions regulations prevent it from being sold or imported into the U.S. You'd have to spend a considerable amount of money to redo a lot of stuff in it to make it uh, pass the environmental, uh, the EPA regulations in the U.S. However, if it's 25 years old or older, you can import it because it's known as like a classic vehicle at, at that point. Uh, so you could do it. Um, I don't think I'd import a safari vehicle. So protect the environment unless it's a classic vehicle. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have looked into this, yes. There are yeah, guys, well, there are there are companies that that uh, make some money, you know, importing from uh, these like twenty five year old plus cars and 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 SUVs from other countries. That's amazing. Uh, cool. So uh, in uh, in Dar es Salaam, is that where all this is happening? So uh, most of this happens in Arusha, which is known as kind of like the setting off point for most safari uh, traffic in the country. 
uh, Arusha and Moshi. Moshi is closer to Kilimanjaro, but they're mm-hmm. both in the, the north, northern, central northern part of Tanzania, uh, not too far away from the Kenyan border. And in Arusha, are there also safari vehicle financing companies, or are people having to come up with uh, with this in cash? Not financing companies, but uh, yes, you do have to buy them in in cash generally. Credit cards are still not much of a thing over there, um, but you can get bank financing for it. Uh, right. Funny enough, when we bought our first vehicle, uh, the government at the time, which is not the government that's currently there, they were giving my partner Josh a lot of hassle being like, where did you get this money? Um, you know, like, cause they're thinking, oh, well, someone like gave them the money to buy it. Cause that's usually what happens. Like, uh, there'll be a, even a silent partner in the U S or Europe and they'll give someone on the ground, a bunch of money, uh, to then buy like a fleet of vehicles and run at safaris. And they've got to cut like 50, 50 in the business and whatnot. Um, so they gave him a lot of hassle and he had to produce like a bunch of paychecks basically from years past being like, this is money. I've saved it. Look at it accumulating in my bank account. I saved up my own money to buy this. And it would be a problem for the Tanzanian government that someone will want to because, invest in this Yeah, because uh, they want to get their cut of any money imported into oh. uh, into the country. Yeah. <laughs> so he has to show, oh, look it, I've received this. I've already paid taxes on it. Um, you know, it's all legit. Yeah. Did you know Tourpreneur also has a Facebook community of over 7,000 tour operators? If you are not a member, then search for Tourpreneur on Facebook and join a thriving community of tour operators and other travel professionals, all of whom learn from each other as well as from Chris, Mitch, Pete, and many other industry experts. By becoming a member, you will be notified first of any events, meetups, and exclusive content. Join the Tourpreneur community today. Facebook.com slash group slash Tourpreneur. I just want to keep on nerding out, right? This is an entrepreneur show. Right? If, you, if, you, if you want to learn about... Everyone else is very interested in importing uh, land cruisers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, it, so he bought the vehicles. That's interesting. The first one, the first one, yep, and it's still like a personal vehicle, uh, not not personal, but it it does spend its life in his driveway for the most most part when it's not being used. And you know, when we have vehicles that aren't being used, we also have the option to rent them out to other um, other providers because there's a lot of providers that don't have that that initial money to even buy one car, so they need to rent uh, from somebody that has them. Yeah. Yeah, I figured there must be some sort of leasing or renting um, industry. You pay per day. There. You pay per day. It includes uh, it includes a bunch of just random things you wouldn't even think about. It includes the fuel. It includes any breakdown fees, even flat tires. Um, it includes the uh, guides, accommodation, uh, and entry fees into the park. Uh, it's it's weird. Like it, uh, you're like, why does it include that? But it does. Wow. How much does one pay per day for a safari vehicle in Tanzania? The uh, the going rate for a tour operator, like a licensed tour operator. So, like, don't think you could just go to Tanzania and be like, "Hey, like, go to Hertz rent a car and, and rent one of these." Uh, would be, um, gas just went up, so it just went up a bit. So, it, I would say, two hundred twenty-five to two hundred. Let's say two hundred thirty to two hundred sixty dollars US per day. Right. And does there exist the equivalent of, of her, her to rent a tour operator license? 
There, there are uh, one or two companies that will rent, generally not those vehicles, but they'll rent like Nissans or whatnot, with, even some with like a roof tent that you can use and go to travel throughout the country with those if you're like really into kind of doing it on your own. Um, we see those people in the park, not all the time, but like occasionally, and we always kind of laugh because they're often lost. Um, they don't have a radio. You know, we have, we've got radios where all the guides are talking to each other in Swahili and they're telling each other, okay, there's a kill over here, come over here. But if you don't have that, you're just wandering blind and there's no map of the roads because a lot of the roads are, it's, well, it's all dirt and a lot of them are seasonal. So, you know, you look at Google Maps, it's not going to help you. So you're just kind of like wandering around. Um, and, you know, if you're in the Serengeti, let's say, um, I don't know if everyone's going to know this geography reference, but it's the size of the state of Connecticut. Um, it's, it's about 15,000 square kilometers. Um, I know it's not the exact number, but it's, it's huge. So, you know, if you go really far off the beaten track, you don't remember how to get back. Like there have been people, they have to, um, you know, find a signal for the phone and call the uh, park rangers to rescue them because <laughs> they don't know where they are. So it's not necessarily recommended to, to do that, but it is possible. Wow. Okay. And these random groups they do they kind of latch onto safari companies and start just following them around at a distance yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah they they usually do um and you'll also know like they won't be following protocol there's like kind of a, a an unwritten protocol between drivers about okay um if you had this much time at a kill like kind of move out of the way to allow other people to see it um or like don't block the road here or whatnot and they'll generally mess everything up because everyone will kind of get like mad at them because they're you know they just don't know this stuff uh, right. And yeah, they, they just cause a little bit of havoc. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, in terms of the area, so slightly smaller than El Salvador, slightly smaller than Israel. That's uh, what I just okay. picked up off my Google. There we go. And and that's um, one of the parks. So there's that's not even the largest park in the country. There's wow. multiple parks like that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. The mechanics of how safari works. This is fascinating. <laughs> so, so um. In Facebook groups of tour operators, there is no shortage of people who from Africa who are wanting to start or grow safari businesses, mm -hmm. but don't have that partner in someone like yourself. Right. And they're coming to look for leads or coming to look for help. I see them. So, yep. I'm in those groups. Yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of these people out there. Um, and there are a lot of tour, there are a lot of safari operators in general. There are. Uh, I mean, I, I, I always say, and I've got a spreadsheet of competition um, that has 36 columns uh, that I rank all of the uh, people on. Uh, now I've outsourced that, but for a while I was doing it myself. Uh, and so at any one time, there's generally about 500 in northern Tanzania alone. Uh, not all of them are properly registered. Most of them don't last for very long, but at any one time, uh, it's about 500. I would say out of those 500, um, whose actual competition, maybe 50 of them, maybe 10%, uh, would, would pose any, you know, kind of competition. Yeah. Wow. Because a lot of them are just, you know, they're, they're, uh, a guy who, um, generally guys, uh, there are a few female guides, but it's, it's definitely not very common. Um, that goes to, uh, you know, saves up the money, uh, goes to school, maybe graduates with a wildlife management degree. And then, you know, they go off on their own and, um, you know, they just, 
they do what they can to get business. Like, you know, they, they're very resourceful and they, they have to do what they have to do, you know, cause like, where do you start? Like most people, um, you know, some people start that way, but most people get a job at one of the very established companies. And by job, I mean, you, you don't get a paycheck. You are a, uh, freelance operator. Um, and all of these companies that, you know, um, Abercrombie and Kent, um, talk, uh, like all, all the, all the big companies, um, they all use independent operators. So, uh, they're like, we have a trip going out, um, you know, who's available to do it. We'll, we'll pay you this much. And then you'll get some money on the back end from tips as well. Uh, so we all operate in the same way. And it's funny because most people don't know that. So yeah. we're using the same, the same people that, um, like Abercrombie and Kent, I'll just use them as my, uh, punching bag. Uh, even yeah. though they're, they're a good company. Like I, I'm very envious about what they're doing that, uh, but I will say that like, we're using a lot of the same people. They don't have, uh, employees that they're like, okay, we are, you know, for the most part, uh, they don't have employees that are safari guides that are like, okay, we have your retainer and we're just going to pay you a bit, um, every month. And, you know, then you get tips on top of that. Like our guides are the same people that are working for these larger companies, um, except for they just charge two or three X the price. And we can do that yeah. because we don't have all the overhead that they have. Yeah, yeah. And they can do that because they have distribution. They have distribution and they have the name. The name is very powerful. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And the, and the history and whatnot, you know. Uh, we've, we've got 13 years now and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, okay, like 20 years or so, I can really flaunt it and be like, oh, yeah, we've, we're kind of OGs now. You know, we've been around for a while and, and kind of flaunt that a bit. But I, I'd feel kind of silly doing it before then. So how how does a safari company in a world of 500 operators just in northern tanzania 50 of them being serious competition with some exceptions i'm sure pretty much everyone using the same pool of 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 local guides vehicles etc how how does one differentiate in an environment like that so obviously, uh, knowing your target market, being having a nice website, um, doing proper marketing and whatnot, looking kind of you know slick and, and being using uh, beautiful imagery and whatnot helps. Uh, as far as like differentiating, it's all about uh, educating potential guests because uh, I too, you know, at one time had never been on a safari, had never climbed Kilimanjaro. I was very much like, I mean, when I did Kilimanjaro that first time. I went with a, one of the lowest price operators because I'm like, I'm getting to the top no matter what, right? Well, now that we do our own Kilimanjaro trips and I, I climb it every year personally, uh, I know how shitty that experience was. I won't name what company we use, but they're one of the bigger ones and they're still around and doing great. Um, but our guide, you know, was walking 10 minutes ahead of us, was on his phone the whole time, didn't care about like helping us out with pacing. Um, you know, we had popcorn supplement most of our meals, you know, uh, in the latter days of the hike, you know, um, it was great. It was great to have that experience because I know now how not to do it. Uh, and I still hear horror stories from people that are like, yeah, I want to go. But my friend had this awful story about when they went and, you know, like one person is like, oh yeah, they lost their, um, their toenails on the hike and they're throwing up everywhere. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be like that. <laughs> you know, they yeah. probably didn't have a very good guy. And it, yeah, know, don't, don't throw up everywhere. Just throw up into these bags <laughs> that I've brought you. <laughs> but, You're making a mess. <laughs> it's really interesting how, uh, how many companies, especially the locally owned companies, um, will take short-term profit at the expense of 
the overall like quality of the trip yeah. over building relationships um, and, you know, waiting, you know, do you want you know, one M&M today or three tomorrow kind of thing, you know, uh, yeah. many of them, and we've been burned multiple times working with people like they will, they don't care about, you know, relationships and building that up. They're like, give me the money now. And then, you know, they'll burn bridges and go away. So uh, to circle back to what you're saying, and that was a little bit of a tangent, uh, what we do in particular is number one, the people. Um, so the guy that you're with, uh, let's say on the safari or, or even Kilimanjaro, like you're with this person on average, you know, let's say for a week or more um, at a time. And they're with you the entire time. If this isn't somebody that's like talkative and knows good English and knows what they're doing, you know, doesn't get lost everywhere, knows what the animals are going to do, knows where they are, you're still going to have a good time. You're still going to have a good time because it's still cool to be there. You're in the Serengeti. It's beautiful. You're still going to see animals. But you have a lot better time if this person is fun and cool and knowledgeable. So we do our best um, to attract top talent and keep it by paying them over the going market rate um, and just being in good communication with them and just fostering those connections um, over the years. Uh, the other thing we do is we also uh, have very well-maintained uh, land cruises because, again, you're in that thing uh, most of the day, every single day when you're on safari. Um, you want it to be safe. You want it to be comfortable. You don't want it to break down. We see cars that are like 30 years old that people are on safari stuff, you know, broken down all the time in, in the parks. And we're just like, you know, my, my business partner, Josh, will always be like, oh man, that car is so old. I don't know why they're still taking it out, you know? But like, how would you know that as as a, a potential person who went on safari? You have no idea um, what the quality of the vehicle is going to be. And you've never met your guide. You don't know how they're going to be. So we have to um, educate potential guests before they come over as to why they should pick us. Um, you know, we're not the cheapest provider. We don't want to be the cheapest provider. Uh, but I think we have competitive pricing and then we have great, great, great people um, and great vehicles. And you know, we we ride off of that. Like that's, those are our main two things. Um, you know, of course we've got, you know, we, we stay in beautiful places. Uh, the accommodation is awesome and whatnot. But honestly, more than more than not, the people coming back from a safari trip will rave just as much about their guide as they will the animals. That's, that's the kind of person we want. So like we have that, we have that happen more often than not that like, yeah, there were awesome animals. We had this happen, this happened, this happened, but also our guide is so awesome. We exchanged like emails, like we're going to keep in touch with them. And, oh, yo, if you ever come over to the U S like stay at our place, that kind of relationship. Yeah. Travel is all about uh, relationships and it's one of the core principles that we're building our company on as well and similar to what you're saying actually we we're we're like most outbound tour operators we have to we work with local providers right but we we build and maintain relationships with the guides that take our people around right so i'm still you know, i've got them on the whatsapp i'm texting them they're texting me we're sending photos to each other all that sort of stuff and what what is beginning to happen already, despite the fact that our company is relatively young, is that those guys are starting to bring me their best ideas. They're bringing me really really cool opportunities, because those those people that we're interacting with are relationship driven, and we're relationship driven, and it's kind of like, kind of like ships finding each other in the night for want of a better. Uh, if you want to do find those people, people you like, 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, do long-term business with long-term people or whatever it is that they say, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that that's what we we've always gone for from the beginning. Is just you know, and and we like I said, we've been burned sometimes uh, with you know, people that we thought were were good, and we enter into some kind of deal with them, and then they, um, you know, they take their two hundred dollars and run, and we're just like, you know, my partner and I are just like, what are, what is he doing? Like, he could have made twenty thousand dollars, and instead he took the two hundred and just left, you know. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's just a different mentality um, for for some people. Yeah. So what's, how, do, how do you set up a nuts and bolts of a relationship like this? Do you have kind of like a standoff relationship where he you're just kind of taking a per lead basis or a per sale basis and he just manages the rest? Or is it like a full-on business partnership? It's full, it's full-on business partnership, yeah. So I thought it was going to be the former, um, but now it's the latter as far as uh, I'm still in charge uh, at the top level of managing the company, growing the company, um, and he is in charge of using his connections and knowledge on the ground to uh, run. Sometimes he runs the trips, but also we have other people that do it. But also you know, just making sure that all the trips on the ground go well from airport pickup to airport drop off. Um, and also right. in charge of reservations um, and th- that kind of thing. Anything on the ground that has to do with anything on the ground over there, um, he's ultimately in charge of that. Yeah. So the split, the split is 50 50. Yeah. Fi- yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, but um, in, obviously, I'm just thinking, right, regardless of whatever ri- written agreement you have in place, he's in Tanzania, you're in USA, your chances of ever, obviously, if things come worse to worse, there's no chance that either of you would be able to get resolution in the other guy's country, right? Um, if you were to go I mean, down the middle path. I am on I am uh, you know on the business documents uh, business incorporation documents in Tanzania, so I do have a legal standing over there as far as that okay. goes. Um, yeah, but I, I will also say that I'm without him, uh, you know, being a, a willing partner and without him being as awesome as he's been and continues to be, I would not have a company. Uh, exactly. You know, and, and without me, it would probably still be uh, you know working a good job as a safari guide for another company. So, right. uh, yeah, I mean, I, without this chance meeting, uh, just like Ernest uh, that I met, you know, and ended up doing a TV show with, uh, mm. you know, this wouldn't have happened. It's just all just chance. So your sale of ventures in Croatia, that's a chance meeting as well, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. that was a, a guy I met because he was friends of a, a guy I met there, a Croatian guy uh, named Julian or Julian. Uh, and he put together like a, an after party trip for this conference that we were all at. Uh, he was like the point guy on the ground who arranged everything. He's like really into details and, and making these cool events happen. Um, he does this for a living. Like he helps you know, put on concerts and, and whatnot. Uh, and we became friends because like this was a four day trip, I believe. And we were all spending time together and uh, we got to know each other and we were just friends for a few years. And then, uh, he, I was like, hey, I've got this friend who wants to put together a, a trip in Croatia uh, using a few catamarans. Do you think you could help out? And he's like, yeah, man, like I know the people to do that. So we did this back in 2018, I believe, uh, for a group of friends, and it went off very well on the logistics side. And he said, hey, like, want to keep doing business together? And so that's that's what we did. That's amazing. I want to come back to the safari thing, though. I, I, I. It's, it's fun to go on tangents, but um, looking back at it, uh, you've been going for a few years now. How would you do it differently knowing what you know? 
would have been great if I had like money to invest into the company initially. Uh, you know, most of my companies, all the, you know, that I've ever done, have come from a place of like, okay, I know after starting a bunch of businesses how to like do the website myself and this myself and that myself, which is great if you want to save money, but it's not necessarily the fastest, most efficient way to start up a company. So when I started up uh, Pomoja Safaris. Uh, I was also running the web development business and that took most of my time. So Mojo was a side business um, up until, you know, I would say I, I made the commitment to put more time into it 2014 or so. And at that point, um, I wasn't necessarily making a ton of money. So I didn't have the money to put into it. All I had was time and all I had was myself. I didn't have the time to hire anyone. So I was doing everything. The business would only grow at the speed of me. Um, and at that time, I was also traveling um, I did the math on this. I was traveling to an average of 125 different places a year, like as far as like a different place, meaning a different place to rest my head at night, uh, sleeping in a different area. So every 3.25 days, I was changing location, which is not, which is fun and interesting um, and sounds cool, but uh, wasn't the greatest for productivity. That so, sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah. It was absolutely awful. So not a lot of business got done. Uh, it wasn't until 2016 that I decided uh, to stay longer in places, slow down to focus more on, on safaris. Um, and I can, you know, I, I have the spreadsheets that show from 2016 onward, it definitely took an upward trajectory because I, I was willing to put in the time, um, you know, long term. I mean, you know, 14 hour days in front of the computer sometimes just making it work uh, and very, very slowly growing the business. So. You know, if I had to do it over again, it would be great if I had money. I could hire people and delegate and everything. Um, but also at the same time, I'm happy it worked out when we, as it did because we were able to learn in a very slow, organic manner how to work together, how to start this business. I'd never been in the travel or tourism industry before. He had never worked on his own company or worked with a partner. Um, you know, and so we had a lot to learn. And even like logistics on the ground, even though he had been a guide already for 15 years, um, he still didn't know, you know, how to do things on his own. Like that was generally handled by like the head office of the company he worked for. Um, so there's like a lot of stuff where, where it's like, Hey, we have a request to do this. Have you ever done that before? No. Okay. Well, let's find out how to do it. You know? And if we had been at the point where it's like, we got 10 requests for that, we would have left some people probably angry at us at the end because we weren't able to deliver. <laughs> right. And, um, in terms of how your your marketing actually getting clients, you that was the thing that you were bringing you you that was the value proposition that you brought. So where do these clients come from? Well, we find? didn't have any money for advertising or marketing, so it grew very slowly um, by basically me going around to all my friends and saying, "Hey, I've got the safari company. If you ever want to go on a safari, like you know, come my way. Like shoot any friends or family you know over to me." And, um, so it was very, very slow. Things took an uptick even more when I started. I got the idea to do an annual friends and family trip, uh, which was yep. in 2017. And at that time, we'd take like groups of 12 people I knew, and I would be there personally and be like, hey, come on a safari with me. Um, and we'll do a cut rate. And you know, as long as you, know, you all uh, give me uh, testimonials and I can use you know, photos and videos of the trip to promote the company. Uh, and things got, you know, further along by doing that and, and word slowly grew. Um, I would still say at this point, up until, uh, up until COVID or so, uh, most of our business was referral based uh, and it, it, it was very slow to grow, very slow. Uh, again, if I had, if I could do it over again, I'd have money to put into 
uh, AdWords and Facebook ads and stuff like that, but um, did not have that. Yeah, we when I in 2014 when I commissioned my friend who gave me a very good rate, my, my friend Ryan, um, to do a promo video for us. Uh, he luckily accepted along with his buddy Calvin, and we did a promo video end of 2014, and that was a lot of money. We had to pay for the flights. We had to pay like I think they. I think they did it for free. Like we just paid, we paid for the flights. We paid for all their expenses on the ground. Um, I don't think we paid beyond that. So he gave us a heck of a deal. Um, and that's the first point. Like we, we invested money in the company and that was like a turning point. Like we're like, okay, we're doing this, you know, like we have skin in the game. It's not just um, each of our time. It's also like money now, thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, uh, which was big. Cause at the time, you know, neither one of us really had a ton of money to put into it. Wow. And now you're a gazillionaire and we're going to go partying on your gigantic mega yacht in Monaco, <laughs> right? Well, luckily, luckily at this point, you know, I've been on some podcasts and whatnot. Um, and, and still, oh. organic traffic is still most of our business. So we're not oh. paying those uh, 10, oh. 20, 20% plus uh, commission to third-party websites or travel advisors or whatnot. Um, we are working with more travel advisors nowadays, um, and, uh, which is which is great. Um, I love for someone else to do the uh, the selling. I gladly give you ten percent. Uh, you know, if you could take care of that for us. But um, yeah, I'd say up until COVID, it was all mostly referrals. Yeah, cool. All right, Scott. We're coming up to the end of our time. So, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to to locate? International man of mystery and famed celebrity entrepreneur. <laughs> you can go to my horribly out of date website, scottbrills.com, uh, or you can go to our company website at uh, pomojasafaris.com, which is P A M O J A safaris.com. And we're at Pomoja Safaris on all of the, uh, the uh, social media platforms. Sweet. Well, we haven't really talked about Eat Japan either, but um, Scott also <laughs> does uh, food tours of Japan um, and speaks yeah. in Japanese. Is that right? Yes, fluent Japanese. I, I studied in, in Japan, uh, started up a couple of businesses over there. Um, and yeah, I started off again, like as a kind of like a friends and family trip. I started in 2014 uh, to do like a multi-day or 10, 12 days food tour where we'd eat and drink our way through Japan. And I take first timers over there, like really interested in that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, it was just for friends initially. And now it's actual like business. We just started making a proper business right before COVID and then Japan shut down for a few years. Uh, so now I'm heading over there in a few weeks um, and I've got some people over there we're going to be talking to. It's going to be a very hectic couple months in Japan, um, but I'm personally leading two of the tours. We've got another one on sale for September um, and we're looking at uh, doing day tours uh, starting in Tokyo. So yeah, I, it's something I'm really passionate about uh, Japan in general. Um, and food in general. So, you know, combine those things along with entrepreneurship. Um, you know, it's like making money from doing what you love. Cool. That's great. That's great. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on, Scott. Yeah, pleasure, Matt.